wonder-working stars in the precious... Incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. <laughs> You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. And then the hunter came. A crowd of colonists gathered to watch their ship touch down, and from the moment it broke the atmosphere, they knew this group wouldn't be like the others. The other ships had left vacuum with a scream, hurtling down, dragging chemtrails and contrails behind them. They'd been rust-pitted, space junk crammed with armed desperados. This ship was different. It was a chrome stiletto with engines like the muscles of a pit bull. It pierced the troposphere like a needle and then sank to the launch pad like a die-cast model falling through a swimming pool. It was an inner world's ship. That much was clear. You didn't find civilian vessels like this this far out. It would be years, maybe a decade before anything like it became available, second-hand, at auction on Jai-Din Orbital. The colonists watched it descend in silence. Earlier expeditions, they'd cheered. Now, whether from awe, fear, or despair, they watched their ship land without a sound. A set of doors sliced themselves from the fuselage and dipped to the cracked tarmac of the landing pad. Three beings, so unlike the colonists as to have been aliens, stepped down with long, easy strides. They looked nothing like the low-rent mercenaries and bounty hunters who had come through before. They were tall, an easy head taller than most of the malnourished colonists, and they wore bespoke clothing of buttery leather and velvet. Their body modifications were elegant and strange. Split lobes, eye spacers, sternum piercings, bioluminescent tattoos. At the bottom of the ramp, they lit cigarettes and muttered among themselves, ignoring the colonists. Near the front of the crowd, Rohan leaned over to Pradeep, the mayor, and muttered in his ear. Who are these people? he said. Their clothes alone are with half the colony's domestic product. Why are they here? Pradeep shrugged. We're here to kill the tiger, he said. It's enough for me. Something had been killing the colonists' livestock. Because most of the source population came from the Sunderbunds on the Bay of Bengal, they had taken to calling the mystery creature the tiger. A clamor came from the ship, and it took Rohan a moment to recognize the sound, a relic of his off-world early childhood. Dogs. A pack of brutes boiled down the gangway, muscled, wedge-skulled, drooling from the mandibles. The crowd took an involuntary step back, but the animals were under control. They were leashed by the grip of a fourth person, the tallest, most beautiful human being Rohan had ever seen. If this person belonged to any race or gender, 
Rohan never found out. They never offered any name. To the people of the colony, they would always just be... The Hunter. For a moment, the Hunter paused at the base of the gangplank, ticking in the cankered tarmac, the rotting buildings cut from alien bamboo, the jungle looming just beneath a sullen, monsoon sky. If a hunter felt anything about the sight, they gave no indication. Pradeep and a group of notables strode forward to greet the newcomers. Rohan stayed put with his arms folded while Pradeep made the formalities. The newcomers barely responded, not taking off their dark glasses, not putting out their cigarettes. After running out of things to say, Pradeep gestured them in the direction of their quarters. Thanks, said the hunter, speaking for the first time and pushing past. We'll set out in the morning. Well, wait a minute, said Pradeep, struggling to keep pace with the hunter. You can't bring those dogs off the tarmac. They're an invasive species. They'll kill the local wildlife. The hunter ignored him, fishing with a spare hand through their jacket pocket. Something clinked, and then a thing like a wingless crystal hornet emerged between the hunter's fingers. It crawled up to the wrist, arched its back, and slid a stinger twice its length into the ulnar vein. The wasp pumped its entire body once, twice, and then went limp, falling to be crushed under the hunter's boot. The hunters swayed for a moment, before steadying themselves. Yes, well, they said, gliding past Pradeep. I suppose that's rather the idea. Those hunters who had come before had been armed to the teeth, Splitter cannons, chain bayonets, spike grenades, flashy, brutal, illegal weapons. A group of marines from Jaidin Orbital had come with a tensest battle drone, quartet of military satellites, and enough smart tech to double the colony's IQ. None of it had mattered. No one who had gone after the tiger ever emerged from the jungle. Until he knocked on their door that evening, Rohan had not seen the hunter's crew armed with anything more than cigarettes. But when the door swung open and the hunter stared down at him, he saw that they had cut wooden shafts from the forest edge, or were now using strands of catgut to attach flaked stone spearheads. A stack of stone-tipped javelins already leaned against one of the beds, their dark points like raven's beaks. "'Come in,' said the hunter. Rohan hesitated. None of the other groups had ever welcomed him. "'What are you waiting for?' said the hunter." Rohan entered, sitting as far as he could from the others, on one of the beds. He had his father's shotgun with him, and he laid it on the bed beside him. "'We accept,' said the hunter. "'Accept,' said Rohan. "'You've come to offer yourself as a guide,' said the hunter, "'because the animal killed someone you love.' Rohan was dumbstruck. The hunter's crew continued to work in silence. "'How did you know?' he said. The hunter sighed, looking down the length of a wooden shaft. Seeing that it was crooked, they snapped it and tossed it aside. Because I've done this before, on a hundred sad little planets like this one. The story's always the same. The hunter sighed again, and reached with a trembling hand for the jacket pocket that contained the crystal wasps. Slowly, mastering themselves, the hunter drew the hand back down occupying shaky fingers by binding stone to catgut and wood. "'This is how you make your living, then?' said Rohan. "'Going from world to world, hunting things?' The hunter laughed, the sound unexpected in the thick silence. The crew joined in, laughing around their cigarettes, 
sending out eddies of camphor-scented smoke. We don't do it for money, said the hunter. We don't need more money. Then why, said Rohan, altruism? That raised another laughter from the crew, and a brittle smile from the hunter. Obviously not. The hunter went back to their work as a shocked Rohan slammed his mouth shut. Bitterness seeped into his throat. He decided he did not like these off-worlders. Their calm arrogance, condescension, and ironic detachment from a situation that could destroy the colony. Unable to bear the smug silence, he spoke again. What are you doing with these spears? he said. Planning some kind of photo op? Is this some sort of social media event for you? But the more angry he became, the more he seemed to amuse them. No, said the hunter, at last succumbing and drawing another crystal wasp from that pocket. We are going to use them to kill the tiger. Rohan left in a fury. It was absurd. It was an insult. They would die in the jungle, and it would be a wasted opportunity to save his colony. More cattle would die, the debt would pile up, the colony would fall, and they would all be off-worlded as sharecroppers for some corporate plantation. He was too anxious and enraged to sleep, and tossed and turned through a short, hag-ridden night. But the next morning, in spite of it all, he showed up at the hunter's cabin. They were waiting. They changed their clothes. Gone was the jewelry. The bespoke leather and velvet had been replaced by hide loincloths and waist pouches filled with purification tablets. Each of them carried a water jug and a handful of throwing spears. That's how you're going into the jungle? The hunter nodded. Rohan almost turned right back around, but a change had come over the crew. Their detached attitude had hardened. They had gone quiet. They now stood with a professionalism and purpose their eyes sweeping the forest edge, their least movements steady and deft. He felt a hair rise on the back of his neck. Stripped of civilization's trappings, they seemed all the more unworldly, their bodies lean and hard, their eyes cool and horrid. Despite himself, he found himself thinking they might actually do it. They might actually kill the tiger. He realized the hunter was staring at him, or into him. You're trying to decide whether to go with us, said the hunter. You will. You hate the tiger more than you value your own life. What makes you so sure, said Rohan. I've done this before, said the hunter. I've done everything before. Rohan shrugged. Well, you happen to be right, he said. And even though it seemed like suicide, he shouldered his gun and led them into the jungle. They didn't stop until mid-morning. Even in his light synthetics, Rohan was drenched in sweat, pricked by spines and bitten by alien flies. Even the dogs were panting and exhausted. Yet the hunter and crew only glowed with mild perspiration, scarred skin, unscratched and unbitten. Are you... modified? Rohan asked. He meant it in the sense of genetically engineered. No, said the hunter, crouching. We're just better than you. They stood, prying something from the loam. Look at this. It was a modified shrapnel carbine. Illegal. Highly distinctive. The last group of bounty hunters carried those, said Rohan. Smart amateurs, said one of the crew. Why learn to hit something when you can just hit everything? Hmm, said the hunter. Look. Friendly fire. 
blood and bullet holes defaced a nearby tree trunk. How do you know that's not the tiger's blood? said Rohan. Intuition, came the response, and though it was a non-answer, Rohan believed it. They penetrated deeper into the jungle, following game trails carved by the native cattle. It grew silent. The dogs, who had bounded and howled upon first entering the woods, were quiet and alert. They know something's hunting us, said the hunter. The words were like a magnet, drawing up hair on the back of Rohan's neck. He tightened his grip on the shotgun, glancing around. The jungle hung empty. I thought we were hunting it, he said. It's both, said the hunter. It's a process of co-identification. It's like making love. One of the dogs had gone missing. Nobody was sure exactly when. Now, as they passed beneath a region of low canopy, they found it. A 250-pound mastiff hung from its guts in a tree. Rahan looked aside. The dog's tongue lolled, pointed with crimson, syrupy drool. Its intestines were spread like a cat's cradle. Rohan saw two of the crew share a look, saw their pupil shrink. But the hunter was not phased. If anything, their tawny eyes seemed to catch light. They passed back and forth in front of the dead animal, examining it from many angles, clicking their tongue. "'Do you know?' said the hunter, turning to their followers. "'I think the animal did this on purpose, to frighten us. I think this tiger may be the one we've been looking for.' "'That's impossible,' said Rohan. "'It's just an animal.' And so are you, said the hunter. And then, without warning, they whirled, a spear flickering from their hand and crackling into the jungle gloom. Silence. Stillness. As a group, they followed the spear and found it lodged in a tree. Traces of blood welled up along one scalloped edge of the spearhead. When the hunter pulled the weapon forth, they sniffed the blood, let the dog sniff it, and then tasted it with a long, pink tongue. It is bitter. Bitter, the hunter quoted. But I like it, because it is bitter, and because it is my heart. Evening fell. The forest darkened. They found a small clearing and built a fire. The dogs paced out a perimeter. Rohan, said the hunter, this planet's orbit is similar to Earth's, yes? Slightly longer. We use a 63-minute hour to keep 24. Good, said the hunter. Then our circadian rhythm should still ebb around the same time. Four in the morning. That is when the tiger will attack. Digging through their pouch, the hunter produced a crystal wasp. In the firelight, they considered its stretching legs, its questing stinger, and then returned it to the pouch, settling down to rest with a smile. The night passed in utter quiet. Four in the morning arrived. The prediction came true. Though exhausted by the night and day before, Rohan had tried to stay vigilant. His last memory was of staring past black foliage, at the strange stars, and then he was dragged from sleep by howls and human screams. Everything was movement in the darkness. His heart was beating so fast it hurt. He climbed to his feet, shouting, the shotgun cocked. But it was over already. Two dogs lay dead, and one of the crew sputtered out his life by the embers of the fire. The blood pumped black from his lips and ruptured ribs. 
The hunter stayed by him until the light dimmed in his eyes. This tiger is the one, said the hunter. I'm sure of it now. You can't be, said one of the crew. We've lost people before. Not like this, said the hunter. We've lost them to chance, or brute strength. But never because an animal was smarter than us. Rohan felt his blood chill at that thought. What happened? he whispered. You fell asleep, said the hunter. We set a trap. The tiger saw the trap and sprang it, allowing itself to be hurt in order to hurt us. It took a risk, and it paid off. A calculated risk. The surviving crew, a man and a woman, said nothing. Rohan could not read their expressions. They looked afraid, but at the same time hopeful and exhilarated. Did you see the size of it? said the hunter, their voice loud in the pre-dawn silence. And those eyes, those killer's eyes, this is the one. I can feel it. The one to what? said Rohan. You stupid boy, said the hunter. Isn't it obvious? The one to kill us all. The sun rose, and they delved into a deeper depth of the jungle, one riven with canyons and waterfalls, one efflorescent with blooms whose petals stung like wasps, one where xenoform fruit bats flitted the canopy, laying clouds of colored roe that floated like dandelion fleece. The hunter had commanded him to find water, and Rohan knew from his childhood, from before the tiger came, that this route led down to a chain of watering holes. It took him hours to build the courage to speak. I wouldn't have come if I knew you were looking to die, he said. They splashed through a shallow stream. Light shivered on its waters, but the hunter seemed immune to beauty. We don't want to die, said the hunter. We want there to be something better than us. Something that can't be killed by a couple of humans with dogs and pointed sticks. We want to feel we have a place in creation. I would want that place to be the top, said Rohan. The top? said the hunter, is hell. I have lived my entire life at the top. There's no struggle there, and therefore no meaning to survival. The top just gives you an uninterrupted view of empty space. The hunter reached into their pouch, producing a crystal wasp. It writhed, striving for the wrist, desperate to inject. That's why I have my little habit, the hunter said, crushing the wasp and flicking it aside. I've seen you notice, Rohan, but I make no apologies. It keeps me sane through the boredom of life between hunts. If you hate your station so much, you could give your wealth away. Why? said the hunter. So you can have it? You don't grasp what I'm saying. The poor have no perspective. All you care about is that I should fall, and you should rise. Well, if I hate the top, I should hate even more to be below the likes of you. Accept your place. You should consider yourself lucky. Rohan's jaw felt so tight it could break. You're hateful, he said. Do you know that? Am I? said the hunter. Well, if I am, there is something worse in these woods. Oh, yes. They took a deep breath and released it with a delicious shiver. Oh, definitely, they said, and then laughed, 
a high-pitched sound nothing like their smug laughter in the village. I'm afraid, Rohan. Do you know how good that feels? It's the first real feeling I've had in as long as I can remember. And fear was justified. Something huge lurked in the trees around and behind them. Never seen, never heard, never smelled, but felt. Like pressure change before a storm. Two more dogs vanished that morning. Only one remained. Twice more as the group continued through a dying afternoon, the hunter whipped around, flinging spears into the foliage with a speed that defied the human eye. Did you hit anything? said Rohan, the first time. I never miss, said the hunter, but it has a thick hide. The second time, Rohan did not ask, but the hunter said with a wide, pallid smile, I never missed until today. This tiger is fast. As the sky reddened, the group crossed an oozing stream where the water was tainted by the bodies of the missing dogs. Slow chunks floated like thawing ice along the surface. Yes, said the hunter. We're close now. We'll see for sure if I'm right. But I think I am. I think this tiger is the one. Sunset fell, and they came to the pool that Rohan had in mind. A spectacle awaited them, and at its sight, the hunter burst out laughing and the surviving crew turned silent and pale. Yes, Rohan, said the hunter, it is. It seems we never needed a guide. The tiger would have led us here itself. The pool was girdled by a shallow bank, and the bank was knotted waist-deep with bones and rotting carcasses. Buffalo skeletons glimmered in the dying sun, tangled with dead men, dead women, dead dogs. Meat was strewn about, bones were split, and marrow lapped away. Brown fluids flowed from what remained to putrefy the waters of the pool. For a long moment, four humans and one dog looked on in silence. The sun went down behind the tree line, daylight guttered, and blue shadows stretched to overwhelm them from the trees. As one, they became aware of the sound of heavy breath from the jungle's edge. As one, they turned. The tiger was a black vacuum in the trees. The name was all wrong. No tiger stood seven foot at the shoulder. No tiger had long, clawed climbing hands, or bands of chitin plate beneath its night-black fur. No tiger had a domed skull filled with cunning thoughts behind its slitted yellow eyes. The next moment it was gone, melting into the shadows as spears flickered from the hunter and crew. The remaining mastiff remembered itself and exploded into the trees, howling and slobbering. The three hunters spread out, more spears hissed into the trees, and then the mastiff's body darkened the sky. It smashed the remaining man back into the pile of bones, impaling him. A moment of shock descended, and into it, silent as a barn owl, soared the tiger. Fangs clashed shut. The woman gasped, and then vanished from life. Rohan blinked, paralyzed, but the hunter was in motion, cool and smooth, as though this were the only time and place to ever be, flinging spear after spear into the creature's flank. Blood ran along spear shafts, black in the blue twilight, to sputter across the bank. 
but underneath its fur the tiger's hide was thick with scale and fat. It looked up from the slaughtered woman. Its yellow gaze met the hunter's. For the first time, Rohan saw the hunter falter. And then the creature landed on the hunter. Bones broke under its weight as it drove them into the ground. Rohan shouted. Finally, his mind unfroze, and he put his gun to his shoulder. It jammed. The tiger's head whipped around like a serpent's, and Rohan felt his knees buckle as the weight of that gaze crushed his will like an eggshell under a boot. And then... The pupil shrank. The creature lurched to the side and staggered into the pile of bones. A broken spear jutted from its solar plexus, and the hunter, black with the monster's blood, was back on their feet, a second spear poised to hurl into the creature's exposed neck, into the soft palate and brainstem. They hesitated. The tiger hissed and tried to lurch toward the tree line, scattering bones and bodies. Gun, commanded the hunter, and Rohan threw it to them. Blood-slick fingers grasped the stock, flicking the autoload. Hydraulics whined, clearing the jammed slugs, and two new shells clicked into the barrels. The night was split by a gunshot. Then, a few moments later, by a second. The tiger was gone. Not dead, but vanished back into the trees. What did you do? said Rohan. What did you do? You let it get away! Smoke pooled into the rising starlight as the hunter lowered Rohan's gun. They had fired into the empty air. I had it, they said. I had it at my mercy. The greatest thing alive. The apex predator, undone like nothing by a bit of stick and sharpened stone. They tossed the gun down and turned away. You monster, screamed Rohan. You devil. Don't you see it'll come back? Don't you see you've doomed us all? Don't I see? Said the hunter, in a soft voice. They dug through their pockets, producing a crystal wasp. It stretched, suffused with starlight, and the hunter allowed it to climb down to the wrist and inject pumping and pumping intoxicating venom straight into the ulnar vein. Don't you see, Rohan? It's strong. It's smart. It can heal. It can learn. It wasn't the one this time. But maybe next time it will be. Maybe next time I come to this world, it will give me what I want. What you want? said Rohan. And what about us? What about all our lives? The hunter drew the expended wasp from their wrist and crushed it in their hand as they turned back toward the village, the tarmac, the waiting ship. All they said was, What about you? The third season of The Wrong Station ends this August the 18th, and you can help make our next season even bigger by supporting us on Patreon. There are great benefits right now for as low as $1 a month, and lots of exciting extra content planned for the near future. This week's episode, Hunter Hunter, was written by Alexander Saxton and performed by Anthony Botello. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel. 
with music composed and performed on the piano by Ilan Citrin and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmid. You can subscribe to The Ron Station on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and any other of your favorite podcast services. You can follow The Wrong Station on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. You can also follow The Wrong Station creative team on Twitter at AEW Saxton, AJV Batello, and Jacob BRDS. And until next time, thank you for listening.